0: Well, good morning. good morning. You all hear me okay? Yeah? Okay, good. It's a pleasure to be with all of you this morning in worshiping the Lord. And um, as we just prepare our hearts to, to hear from God's Word, I'd, I'd ask that you would bow with me once more and we'll ask the Lord for His help to help us to understand and, and to believe. So pray with me, please. Father, it's good to be with Your people. We're glad to be in Your house and to, to have the privilege to, to speak of You and to sing of You, to hear from Your Word. Lord, we ask that um, in this time that You would speak to us. Lord, use me and in a mighty way. Fill me, Lord, with Your Spirit would speak the words of truth rightly, dividing the word well. Lord, we pray for the hearing of Your Word, that You would give us eyes to see, give us hearts to believe, give us grace that we might be spurred on to love one another, It would be spurred on to be a light to the watching world, that the watching world would marvel At the way that we show love to each other. Lord, we pray that you would do this for the glory of Christ. For him alone. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about love. So love is, I would say universally understood to be a virtue by most people. Just about everywhere around the world, you hear that it's good. It's a good thing to love others. Love is a good thing. It's it's right to seek the welfare, to seek the well-being of other people. But then whenever we get down to the particulars of love, what does love look like? who should we love? Why? Why should we love other people? Well, we get a lot of different answers. So the question this morning is, what is love really? What is the right source of this love? What is the right substance of this love that we're commanded to have for one another? And so let me say, if, if you would call yourself a Christian this morning, these are questions that we should absolutely be devoted to understanding. It's our Lord Jesus who in, in John 13, he, he says that the world will have permission to judge the genuineness of our faith on the basis of a sincere brotherly love for one another. He says this in John 13:35 By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so if those stakes aren't high enough for us even 4 chapters later Jesus tells his disciples again that the world has permission to judge the truthfulness of his incarnation by the way that we are united in loving one another. He says in chapter 17, verse 22 and 23, that he says this, praying to the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, his disciples, his church, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me." So if you call yourself a Christian this morning, these questions are absolutely essential for us this morning. But if you know yourself to not be a Christian this morning, these questions are still important do you just ever wonder what true love really is? Do you wonder if it's more than just a social construct? Just a a way for people to survive throughout civilization? Do you ever wonder if it's really, actually a fingerprint of the transcendent? Of a God who has actually created people to reflect Him. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Peter with me. 1 Peter is where we'll be this morning. And we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 22-25. through 25. If you have the pew Bible in front of you, it will be on page 1014. Page 1014. And we will be considering, as you'd see there in your bulletin, the condition of true love. The condition of true love. But before we begin reading in our passage, I think it's important for us to just understand the scene that Peter is is writing into. And what's the context of, of these commands to love one another? Now Peter, he's writing to a group of Christians in Asia Minor. Asia Minor is is modern-day Turkey. Now, these Christians are undergoing various trials. The people that Peter is addressing have heard what we call the good news of Jesus Christ. They have heard that Jesus is God's Son who was sent from heaven to live a perfect life underneath the law, to fulfill it in every single way and to go to a cross. He came to this earth to go to a cross and to redeem His people and to suffer underneath the wrath of Almighty God on behalf of His people and be raised three days later to reign for them. And that Lord has now ascended into heaven and He is seated at the right hand of God. That very Lord is the people who these people here in Asia Minor worship now. They confess that this is the Christ, the Messiah. Well, their belief in that message has gotten them into some trouble. The readers of this letter are, are now being mocked for their profession of who Christ is, they're being shamed. They're being scorned for a belief in this crucified king who they now say has been raised. This thing has, the situation has gotten so bad that Peter sees that it is fit to call these Christians elect exiles, there in verse 1. Peter calls them exiles and then. Later, in chapter 2, verse 11, he's going to call them sojourners and strangers. Resident aliens. But there's something very peculiar about these exiles. These people who are rejected by the world. The thing that's very different about these people is that though being rejected by the world, they are chosen And beloved by Almighty God. God looks on them with favor. And He says that God has been the one who has laid up for them an inheritance in heaven, there in verses 3 through 8 through 9. So God has laid up this inheritance for them. God has caused them to be born again to this living hope that is laid up for them. And there's great cause for rejoicing in this in spite of the world's posture towards them. Then Peter explains in verses 13-21 through that these Christians are supposed to relate now because of this inheritance laid up for them differently to the rest of the world. He's telling them that God's people should look different. He says, now that you have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, that you are now to conduct yourself with holiness. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. So, Peter tells us that because we are God's children, we are no longer to look like our first father Adam. We are to be a picture of God likeness to the world. Whenever the world looks at the church, they are to see something of who God is. And so, Peter is now as we're getting to verses 22 through 25 he's he's shifting his attention from how we are to conduct ourselves in the world to now how do we conduct ourselves towards one another. And that's where we pick up here in verse 22. So if you would read with me, I'm going to read verse 22 through 25 in 1 Peter 1. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. And so as we think about our passage this morning, I want us to come away with this main idea. If we could say that there's a main idea to this passage, it's that God's people are marked by an astonishing love for one another that speaks of a new nature. Okay, That's our main idea. God's people are marked by an astonishing love for one another that speaks of a new nature. And so you can see there, there's kind of two points underneath that. Of We're going to talk about the source of this true love, and then we'll talk about the substance of this true love. So with point one, I'm going to attempt to show us that God tells us that it is impossible. It is impossible for us to love the way that he wants us to love apart from the right source of love. Now, what I'm not saying is that people cannot do nice things for one another apart from this right source of love. We see it all the time. People are marked by kind acts. But what I am saying is that we cannot love in a way that is pleasing unto God apart from this right source of love. So that's going to be point one. And then point two, that there is a correct substance to this true love. So just as there is a right source to this love, there is also a right substance substance to this love that is an area of much confusion in our day in the world that we live in love seems to be sort of just this feeling of emotion and what we're going to see here is that love is defined differently so beginning with point one we're going to consider the source of this true love And here in this passage, Peter gives us really two reasons, two two places where we see this source of His his love, of love that we are to have for one another. It's, It's sort of this command, as you see, to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You see a command, and then it's sandwiched between two reasons. He says because of our obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, And then also, because we have been born again. So there's two reasons for this command. So let's talk about reason number one. Peter says that we have purified our souls by the obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. Now whenever Peter talks about this obedience to the truth in his letter... He's not merely thinking about sort of this outward behavior of the way a child would take out the trash begrudgingly whenever his father tells him that it's time to do his chores. For Peter, this idea of obedience to the truth is actually much bigger. It's, it's all-inclusive. It, it is about the whole person, the whole heart posture. For example, we we see in chapter 2, verse 8, Peter refers to those who are unbelievers, and, and he says that they stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. And so, Peter there is talking about a rejection of the lordship and the kingship of the risen Christ. So, a full bodied rejection of the gospel. And so for Peter, whenever he talks about this obedience to the truth, he's talking about believing and responding in a way that submits our heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we see that Peter tells us that as we respond to the gospel in belief, as we respond in obedience to the truth, then this way in our hearts is paved for greater love to God and greater love to one another. Now, how does this happen? How does this work exactly? Well, let's just look at one example. So Peter, here at the first of his letter, he talks about how there is an inheritance laid up for us. One of the central claims of the Gospel message is that for those who have turned from their sins and believed on Christ, our hope is not here. Our hope is in heaven. We have an inheritance in heaven for us. And the way that Paul talks about this inheritance that is laid up for us He actually, whenever he writes to the Colossians, he ties a direct line between our ability to love one another and our realizing that that inheritance is true. In Colossians, he writes that we thank God since we have heard of the love that you have for all the saints. Why? Why do they have love for all of the saints? Well, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard in the word of the truth, the gospel. So in other words, whenever believers' hope of heaven is strong, it frees us from the tyranny of trying to make heaven right here and right now. It frees us from trying to manipulate and use other people so that way we can have our own way. Whenever our hope of heaven is strong, a sincere brotherly love flourishes because we have a strong confidence in the sovereign goodness of Almighty God to give us what He has promised His Son and what He has promised all those who would turn from their sins and believe upon Christ. So therefore, as we live in light of eternity, as we respond in obedience to the truth of the gospel, a way is paved in our hearts for greater love to one another. But that is really just the first reason that Peter gives. The second is similar, but Peter gives us a bit of a a different picture, if you will. Peter gives us this picture of having been born again. He says, To love one another earnestly because you have been born again. And this, I would argue, is Peter's getting really to the root of this source. He's saying, This is where your love comes from, it comes from a new birth. From a new birth. And so it's right for us to ask the question, what is Peter really trying to get at here? Why would he use this picture? Why would he use this image of, of having been born again? What is, he, what is he trying to communicate to us about this source of our love? Well, let's think about our first birth for a minute. What do you know of it? How large a part did you personally play in your being born? Did you tell your parents that this is the makeup that I want to have, the brain power, the the hair color, the stature? These are my details, and these are my demands, and I will not be born if you do not give me these things? Well, no. What Peter is wanting to communicate to us in this picture is that our being born again is a miracle of the sovereign work of God. Whenever we are confronted with the truth of the Gospel message, it is the Spirit of God who breathes new life into our hearts, affecting us to respond in belief, in faith and repentance. If, If Peter were wanting to communicate something differently, He would probably say, love one another earnestly because you've pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. But Peter says that love one another because God has caused you to be born again. God has caused us. And so my question for us this morning is do we really believe that? Do we believe that? Are you dumbfounded by the fact that you are a believer in the risen Lord Jesus this morning? Do you wake up and look at yourself in the mirror and marvel at the fact that you, once a hater of God, hater of all of His commands, now love Jesus? You've turned from your sins, you've turned from your self righteousness, and you have placed your faith in Jesus. Do you marvel at that this morning? Or do you just think, yeah, we tied that up, me and Jesus, a while back? We're good. Is there any worship in our life? Because this picture right here is caused to provoke worship for God's grace in our lives. If this is true, that we were once children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sins, then it is a miracle of miracles, the fact that we believe this. And responding to this in gratitude, is what provokes a love for each other. We look at each other and we go, you too? You believe this? Yes! We have an inheritance in heaven now. That's why we love each other. That's what Peter is communicating to us. This reality is what some of the Puritans called... The life of God in the souls of man. He called it regeneration or recreation. It means being born anew, a, a regenesis, if you will. Now, how is this new birth accomplished? How does this being born again happen? Well, if you read with me, there in 23b, says, You have been born again. Well, how? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. But the grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you." So Peter tells us very plainly here that this new birth comes from the very Word of God. God speaks and a new birth happens. And this new birth brings us into a a readiness For eternity, a readiness for a comprehensive new creation. Well, why is that so? Well, he says there in verse 25 that the word of the Lord is what remains forever. So if God's word is going to accomplish a new birth, it makes us ready for eternity with Him. And he tells us further precisely what these words are of God. There at the end of verse 25, he says that this word is, what does it say there? It is the good news that was preached to you. So whenever the good news comes to us, whenever the Spirit uses that good news to bring life to us, We respond in faith and repentance and belief. And we are made ready for a new creation that Jesus Christ is going to usher in whenever He returns. And I would argue further still that this language that Peter is using, this language that Jesus uses in John chapter 3, it is to bring us back to the story of creation. It should make us think about what happened there whenever God is going to speak life into existence. What happens there in Genesis chapter 1? We know that the earth was without form and void. And God's Spirit is present. And God speaks. And what happens? Life. Out of chaos comes order. Out of emptiness comes existence. Comes living and breathing beings. Now we know a world that is very different than chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, where all things were right. That's because our first father Adam sinned, bringing death, decay, futility, tombs, separation from God, exile. And now, man, ever since our first father Adam, we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. And so that's why whenever Jesus comes onto the scene and says, for anyone, for anyone to see the kingdom of God, they must be born again. They must be born again. And so we can rightly think of those who have chosen to follow Jesus as this new humanity that God is calling unto Himself. God has chosen saints to be restored to righteous living for Him. And so if you believed upon this good news message this morning, that is you. So this way into Jesus' kingdom... His church is by a recreation. This new birth takes place to prepare us for the recreation of all that has fallen. So, my question is do you know anything of this new birth? Is this new birth a reality? in your life. Because my friends, you will not know God apart from it. Mankind has always tried to make up his own way back to the Lord. But our God has showed us plainly that the only way that we will know Him is by a new birth by His bringing life to us. So therefore, secondly, and more briefly, we're going to talk about this substance of a true love that we have for one another. A substance of the true love that we have for one another. We've talked about the source. Turn our attention to the substance of true Christian love. We see from Peter's writings that true love is marked by what? Pure obedience to the truth. It's earnest love, it comes from from a pure heart. So, Peter is telling us that righteous living towards one another is what defines our love. It's not merely sentimental. It's not merely just common interests like enjoying the same sports team. I mean, those those things are fine and good, but that is not chiefly what unites Christians to one another. What unites Christians to one another is that they worship the same God. And we respond in thankfulness to Him. Oftentimes, whenever we look around in the church, we should be... Dumbfounded by the fact that we actually like each other. We would actually spend time with each other. We'd probably go, I wouldn't hang out with you normally. And the watching world should should look at us and go, Why are they hanging out with each other? Well, it's because we worship Jesus together. It's because we worship our Lord. Christian love, love where life and joy flourishes, is marked by obedience to God. It's marked by having a new king from surrendering our self-rule to the rule of Jesus Christ. You know, that's one of the reasons why there's such a thing as church membership. So if you're here this morning... And you're not a member of the church and you would call yourself a Christian, I would say that I'm actually not sure what you mean whenever you say, I'm a Christian and I'm following Jesus, whenever you're not joined yourself to another church and helping other people follow Jesus. Because this obedience to the truth, well, we have to know who we are following in obedience to the truth with together. And so to do that, we join ourselves to a local body. And we help each other. We help each other to follow Jesus together. So whenever we join, we're saying that I'm going to do everything that I possibly can with you to ensure that I'm going to see you in heaven. To ensure that your profession of faith proves true throughout this time that we're here on earth together. That's one of the ways that we love one another. It's very basic. It's not as if you're joining a country club. It's the fact that we join and we say, I want to help you. I want to be real with you. I want to confess my shortcomings with you. I want to ensure that we follow Jesus together. We understand His Word together. My pastor, shared a a story a little while back of just helping us to understand what this really means. What what does it mean to to love one another well? well? He told us a story of a friend who he had, who was married with kids, and and this man came to know the Lord later on in life, after just some some terrible habits and. And one of these terrible habits was just a severe drinking problem. This man was severely addicted to alcohol. And as he came to know the Lord and as he started to sit underneath the preaching of God's Word and and to read the Word of God Himself, he started to see that things were going to need to change if he was to continue to live in the way that he professed Christ. Well, he went to another member at the church and he confessed his sin to him and told him his struggle, severe struggle with addiction to alcohol. And this member at the church prays with him, read scripture together and go on to start the week. Well, Monday rolls around and this struggling, professing Christian has gone to work and he's on his way home from work. And this is kind of the time where he says that he struggles the most. Dealing with the pressures of job and passing by this exit where he basically faces this fork in the road every single day of am I going to turn? Turn right and turn to the bottle? Or am I going to go home to my family? Well, as he's starting to get nearer to this fork in the road, he starts seeing there's kind of this figure standing there at the fork. And as he's driving and gets a little bit closer, there's a man standing there with a sign and just says, go home. Go home. That's how we love each other. We help each other to be obedient to Jesus. We don't just talk about it. Love acts, it takes initiative. We put ourselves in intentionally intrusive relationships, figure out where each other's struggling, so that way we can speak the word that God has spoken to us to each other, to help each other. That's how we love each other. That's one of the ways that we see God's wisdom played out in the church, is that we are very prone to self-deception. Normally, one of the worst evaluators of our own life is ourselves. We need other people's eyes to help us to follow Jesus. James tells us that we, we should confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. You know, just at the end of this passage that we're discussing there in at the beginning of chapter two, Peter tells us things that we put off in this love towards one another tells us to to put away malice and deceit, put away hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and to long for the pure spiritual milk. That that word there, hypocrisy, it it comes from, from this idea of a person who would perform in a play and they would put on different masks for whoever they were around. And Peter tells us that whenever we are to love each other, we put away our masks. So whenever we're here at church in the mornings and around one another, it should feel a lot less like a business interview room where everybody's trying to put their best foot forward, and it should feel more like a hospital waiting room where we we know things aren't right we know we struggle but by god's grace we're going to seek to love one another from a pure heart because we have been born again and because we have responded in obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love we seek to love one another by putting on the new nature that has come from a new birth to be ready for whenever Jesus Christ comes back to bring us to Himself. And so my prayer for Hamilton Baptist is that this would be a church that's marked by love for one another. Love of helping each other to follow Jesus. To putting off of the old man to putting on the new man that is ours in Jesus Christ and waiting patiently and faithfully for His return. You pray with me. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it does a a cutting work a searching work in our hearts by the power of Your Spirit. It shows us who we are. It shows us what love really is. That You have not left us to ourselves to figure out what love is. You've showed us what love is. By sending Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins and to bring us back to You. Lord, we pray that we would pattern our life after Him. That we would believe that. that we would respond with thanksgiving and love towards one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.